2: Live from Logos Radio Studios, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. And give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalice. Good evening to you all. Joining me in studio is a good friend of mine, founder and operator of Sam Bager News Will Beaton, welcome to the studio. Hi, Noah. Thank you so much. I love being here. Hey, we appreciate having you. So, for those of you that don't know, uh, a lot of you probably consume this program in podcast form, but it is in fact a radio show. And so, Will and I are in here at the uh, Logos Radio Studios and uh, <laughs> having some equipment, uh, having some uh, equipment configuration differences from the uh, engineers that are here. So we had to have them kind of work through some things and have them tweak some things to our liking, but. Uh, but we are here, and, uh, and we are happy to, to be here with you answering your questions. Rob starts us off this hour from New York. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
3: Hi, Noah. Uh, thanks
4: for having me on. Uh, I just have a quick question about uh, some hard drives I, I recently purchased uh, pretty cheaply on Amazon. I bought three Hitachi, three terabyte, 7200 RPM drives, and uh, they've been recertified. So I don't know who is certifying them. Where they 're coming from, uh, but I 'd like to put them in a free nas box, and before I do so, I would like to test them for errors and possibly stress them as well to see if they're going to work long term. Mm. So do you have any suggestions for me
2: yeah the so the argument for buying refurbished uh, anything is uh, is, is kind of something along the lines of if I bought this device and it 's refurbished, the reason it 's refurbished is because somebody first bought that device. And something didn't work, so they took it back to the store, the store sent it back to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer then fixed that particular problem. So the argument is that it's already been sort of quality checked in a way, and then anything that was found or that was defective was broken. That, that doesn't really apply to hard drives, right? Because there's, there's really no way to actually refurbish a hard drive. I mean, what are you going to do? Take the platters out and put new platters? It just it, it wouldn't be cost effective. And hard drives are so cheap to begin with. So usually when something says that it's it's it is uh it is is factory certified refurbished or usually what that means is that they have taken it out and they've done what you that you what you're asking about that they've taken the drive out of the machine and they've run it against a, a set of tests, a set of metrics, and then they have tried – I don't know if Veronix has a disk uh, stress testing kit or you know, if that's something that, that exists or uh, if that's something you know you could use like a uh, you know, system rescue CD or whatever to do. But um, I, uh, all that to say, I wouldn't buy a reverse drive to be honest with you. Um, Western Digital – Will, you just bought some, uh, some, uh, some Reds. Well, do you remember what those cost, the six terabyte? I think it was around 300-something. Per drive? Yeah. Okay. If I'm remembering correctly. Okay. So that's a little more than I was thinking. But, uh, you know, especially if you're building you, – so here's the other side of that. Here's the other side of that, Rob. The other way you could look at it is FreeNAS is so remarkably good at recovering from failures. If you wanted to try to save some money and if and when that drive dies, you know, then it's literally a matter of putting another drive in and clicking a button, assuming you don't have more than one drive failure at, at the same time. And and this is coming from a person who bought brand new Western Digital Reds. And had one fail within two months, so I guess that's the other way of looking at it, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, these drives were only sixty dollars a piece, so I I figured I'd take my chances with them and, and see how they work out.
2: I'm going to change my answer. I, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you. I think uh, you know for that's that's about half the price of a four terabyte red, and uh, and for what you're going to save uh, in in the money, you could actually probably pick up a, a cold a, a, you know a cold shelf drive and keep that on hand, and you'd still be ahead of the game. So th- that might be, what I would, uh, might be what I would do. As far as how to actually test that drive, I guess I've never stress tested a drive myself. Uh, I would check out Pharonix and see if they don't have a, a testing suite. And I would also check out System Rescue CDC if there isn't something in there. And uh, if I find something uh, after the show, if the chat room knows anything, we'll throw in the show notes. Elijah is calling from Idaho. Hi, Elijah. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. How are you doing? Excellent. How can we help, sir?
4: Okay, so I have a Windows box, and I'd like to take the Windows box and turn it into a VM with all the programs and everything on it and slap it on a Windows box and access it via VirtualBox or Manager.
2: Okay. Um, Actually, interestingly enough, Microsoft, of all companies, actually makes a tool to do this. Uh, I'm going to find the name of the program for you right now, Um but basically what it is is it's a program that you'll run on the physical uh, hardware, and basically what that pro- – yeah, here it is. It's called disk2vhd.exe, and basically what this does is uh, this disk2vhd.exe takes a physical computer and turns it into a virtual hard disk, and you can then use something like uh, D, uh and you can – take that virtual disk and attach it so when you go to make your install instead of installing from a local media you'll say use an existing disk and uh and and then you'll point it to that uh, to that virtual disk file and you'll actually be able to boot your physical machine on virtual hardware we actually took an entire office elijah and we did this we took an entire office and they were running on physical hardware and we wanted to virtualize them so we took took their entire office and one by one we converted each one of their machines to virtual disks And we took those machines and put them on a Libvirt D server and had them uh, set them up with thin clients and then had them RDP back into uh, their virtual machines, which were duplicates, essentially, of their not essentially. They were exact duplicates of their physical hardware. Does that sound like that would work for you?
4: That would be that would work great. Now, what's the advantage of doing that? Like with what you say with that office, what's the advantage to do that?
2: Yeah. So let's say we have a client and uh, and they call in and they say, "Well, gosh darn, I installed uh, the uh, real life example. This actually happened. Um, they they used a PDF program uh, called Nuance, and we installed the latest version of Nuance with uh, I think it was Service Pack." One of the service—it was a service pack, I think. There, there's a the newest service pack for Windows Seven, I think it was, and turns out that Nuance PDF program was not compatible, and so the computer blue screened upon boot. Now, if that had been physical hardware, client is 750 miles away. There's no way I can fix a blue screen. You know, they can't even get the computer to boot. I can't even get into safe mode, much mm-hmm. less get into something with a networking ability so I can remote into the machine and fix it. So, you know, short of having something like a Spider KV, IP KVM, we're host. Um, so, it, it, so worst case scenario, I could have reinstalled the operating system on the virtual disk. But wait, it gets better. Because it's a virtual machine, I'm able to actually take snapshots of that virtual computer. And before we installed any piece of software, we made a snapshot. And so I literally just clicked on the computer, roll back snapshot, and I said, you know, she called in, she goes, my computer's not working. I look, oh, that's a real big problem. Click on the button, roll back the snapshot. Boom, they're back in business, and they had no idea. Uh, they had no idea how close to a catastrophe they had come. They had no idea how much we had saved them from a catastrophe. As far as they knew, it was a five-minute inconvenience, and we were able to get them back up and running. That's the advantage to running on virtual machines. Sweet. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, the, the, you know, the advantage is gone. I could talk for hours, and thank you very much for the call. Let's go to Brian in South Carolina. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Having me. Hi there, Brian. How can we help? Honestly so. Hey hey Brian. Brian, your phone is uh your phone is breaking up quite a bit. Can you uh can you maybe hold the phone and talk straight into it? We'll see if we can get a better signal. Brian? All right, Brian we're there, put, no? Yeah, there we go. Okay, go ahead.
4: So I'm looking for a windows easy transfer tool but for like a ubuntu desktop is there any software you can recommend like that for ubuntu
2: yeah so you just want to move the install from one computer to the other
4: basically just want all my configuration maybe apps and files from one computer to the other without having to start from a fresh build yeah
2: Sure. Uh, well, there's a couple different ways you can do it. The easiest way, the way that I move, if I'm transitioning from one computer to another computer and I want to move everything exactly the way it is, I use a piece of software called Clonezilla. And uh, essentially, basically, you put it onto a USB flash drive, you boot off of the flash drive, and it'll actually make an entire image of your computer. And then you can take and unpack that image back onto completely new hardware. You can also use that to provision multiple machines. Uh, at the same time, if you want to make you want to create what we call a, a a deployment image and then you go deploy that image across you know hundreds or thousands of machines um that's that's one way to do it. Second thing is as far as the settings are actually pretty straightforward right um Most of the settings in Linux are stored in the home directory, so it's going to be slash home slash whatever your username is and um and you can take and copy all of those if you just copy that home folder it will copy your your uh you know your thunderbird mail profile it'll copy copy all of your contacts all of your mail all of your firefox bookmarks all of your you know program settings all that stuff is stored in the home directory as far as applications go there's no way that i know of uh short of cloning the uh, clonezilla the computer no way have i know of to back up all of the installed applications however. If you know one time you make a list of all the applications that you install on the computer, and I actually do this, I have just a little script, sudo apt-get install, and then a list of all the programs I use. So anytime I want to reimage quote-unquote, my machine, I can just run that script, and it will reinstall all of my programs. Then I can move the home directory back over, and I have all my settings back. Any, any of those sound like that's a usable answer to you?
4: Absolutely. I like the home directory idea. I didn't really realize that it grabbed all my settings from, because uh, that's not some option out like out in Windows, you know,
0: so that
2: helps. Yeah. A lot. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much for the call. We appreciate having you at this hour. David is with us from Alaska. Hi, David. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
4: Hi, Noah. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, customer support ticket systems. Uh, what, what do you use to manage customer support requests as opposed to, uh, you know, I, I'll use Bugzilla or something like that to track... Uh, Uh, software bugs, but what about, you know, your just day-to-day routine uh, customer support issues?
2: Yeah, sure. So there are two pieces of software that I always recommend. The first is what you're actually talking about, which is the ticket system. And for that, we use a a product called OS Ticket. I've been very, very happy with OS Ticket. OS Ticket uh, allows the creation of tickets in one of two ways. You can give your customers actual login credentials, and you give them a web URL, and they're able to log in. And uh, and create the tickets that way. The second way they can do it is we have an email address and that email address is given out to all of our contract customers and they are able to send an email into the ticket system that automatically opens a ticket. The nice thing, David, about the email portion of that is. The customer never has to remember login information. They never have to remember passwords, and more importantly, they don't have to do anything out of the ordinary to communicate with our support staff. Basically, all of that's being handled through email. So, for example, when they get a, when when we update a ticket, we don't have to worry about them installing an app or something for them to get the update of of the ticket response because their email client's going to send them a push notification, uh, you know, to their phone. So you got a new email from AltSpeed. and then all the customer has to do is reply to the email, and that automatically gets updated into the ticket. The, if the customer emails in a, a, a screen cap or or a config file or something like that, that's automatically uploaded into the ticket system. And we have a, a, a size limits. I think we I think we top out at like twenty five megs, uh, so that we, obviously the, the the whole thing doesn't just fill up with garbage. But um, that's been a very effective way. They have a mobile app works a little better on Android than on iOS, but it exists on both. Um, the app supports creating new tickets, responding to existing tickets. Um, there is a granular, very granular permission control system. So I can go in there and say <clears> – <throat> so for example, one of the – we have a knowledge base. And some of our knowledge base is open to the listeners of the Ask Notion – anyone really. Uh, it's available at portal.com com and there have there, there's some basic how-to guides anytime we do a how-to guide for the Ask Noah show we actually put it inside of that knowledge base and I actually we had a guy that um, actually quit uh, AltaSpeed, he moved on to another company and uh, he sent me an email about a month later and he said, you know, the, the knowledge base that you guys have at AltaSpeed, that was one of my favorite things about working there because there was so much information in that knowledge base. Is there any way I could still get access to that? Um, what we open up to the public is, is, a, is a tiny fraction of what we have available internally. Um, but some of those things, for example, are uh, the various uh, debit card uh numbers and debit card uh, uh you know expiration date and cid codes for our company and so we just i can go in there granularly and say this person i want to now be able to make purchases so they i can i can give them that permission then they can see all of the appropriate AltaSpeed uh you know uh, debit card information and then they can go make purchases on amazon so so on and so forth um so i you know, i've really been happy with OS ticket and the, the latest update has they've had a ui refresh and it has been it has been absolutely phenomenal. Now, the second piece is that – does that answer your question?
4: It does definitely answer my question.
2: Okay. I want to sidebar with you for, for just a second. There's, a, there's another piece of software that is really, really useful. OS Ticket is really, really good at solving customer issues. What OS Ticket is not great for, because it's not designed for it, is facilitating the beginning of a business transaction. So, for example, I'm standing inside of a uh, restaurant – and um this actually happened and uh the owner is standing there and he can't get his POS to work because it uh, his point of sale system is not communicating properly with the network and he can't actually ring up the sale I always carry a set of cards on me, and basically it says uh, – the front of the card says something like, we'll fix that for free. And on the back, it says that we'll provide up to one-hour service uh, gratis to the, to the business owner. And I use that as a, as a way of uh, getting new business. And so I just handed him one of those cards, and I said, you know, I own an IT company, and so if uh, there's ever anything we can do to fix this, let me know. And I handed him one of those cards. Now, I would like to track that particular – You know interaction, so that when that that gentleman calls our customer support, which he did, calls our customer support, our customer support, you know, people don't answer the phone and go, "What? Who are you? What? What did you want? What? You want us to come pos? Uh, hold on, do we know you? You you don't want any of that, right? You want them to say, "Oh, thank you, Mr. So and so. We really appreciate uh, hearing from you. I'm I'm glad that that was that. You know, you were that you decided to give us a shot, and we'll absolutely get somebody out there and take care of it right away. Because first impressions, you only get one chance to do that. Um, So for those instances, we actually deployed. A piece of software called Zermo, Z-U-R-M-O, and what Zermo does is it uh, it's it's essentially a competitor to Salesforce. And so essentially, what it does is it does lead aggregation and 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 sales. So I can go in there and I can create a note and say I talked to this guy. He might be calling. This is his problem. This is what he needs. This is, you know, whatever. So when he calls in and they, the customer sales associate, they can, they say he goes, you know, I'm interested in, you know, doing service. Do you have an existing contract with us? No. Pass them off to a sales guy. Sales guy opens up and he goes, oh, Mr. So-and-so. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, about a week ago, your POS system wasn't working that day. Oh, yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. And, and it really brings home a solid, uh, you know, professional relationship. And then once that account is created in Zermo, we can continue to track that. So if a client comes back and says, well, now we want to add, you know, access points. Now we want to add, uh, you know, um, I don't know, a stereo system or something like that, we can go back and say, well, this is a potential sale for an existing customer. And then our salespeople can follow up with that, pass it off to the technicians, and it creates a nice, even workflow. Does that better answer your question? Does that answer the question you didn't even ask?
4: <laughs> it does answer the question I didn't even ask. Uh, that's actually fantastic. I have uh, been, been looking for a better way to, to track, you know, all the people that I hand business cards to and things like that. Because, you know, if I hand my business card out to five people, one of them calls it back and be like, hey, you know, you gave me your business card. Great. I gave my business card to 10 other people this week. Who are you?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, precisely, yeah. I, I should tell you, David, both uh, OS Ticket and Zermo are both available? Uh, they are both open source products, um, so the code is available up on GitHub, uh, and they are both available at uh, no additional charge. So that is another reason to support those two projects. And we thank you for the call. We'll move on to James uh, from Pennsylvania. Hi, James. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
4: Hi, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I was curious. I know I've, I've heard you mention multiple times. Um, your vast video collection. And I was just curious what you do to rip Blu-rays. I know uh, DVD Fab this year has released uh, a version of multiple programs for Linux, and part of that does include Blu-ray. But I was curious what you do, if there's a better way, a different way of doing that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start out by saying this. I have a special place in my heart for DVD Fab. Um, They were one of the earliest uh, Pioneer, there's the the, the the one of the first. If, if I can take a history lesson back with you, uh, one of the first software programs to ever come out uh, for ripping DVDs was a program called DVD Shrink. Um, that was back in the, it was a Windows program, uh, and, that, and back in the day when DVDs first came out and people started ripping them, that was a that was a that was a program that a lot of people used, and it did a really really good job. Uh, and over the years, the development started to 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 slack off, and eventually it got to the point where you couldn't really rip a DVD with DVD Shrink because it couldn't break the encryption. And about that time, DVD Fab was an up-and-coming thing, and uh, I used DVD Fab for years. In fact, I was so impressed with the support from that company and the software product that they made that that was one of the hardest – everyone has that. That's the program that I can't get off of Windows for. That was my program was it was such a good program yeah. that I was having a really hard time dragging myself off of Windows. And so what I did for years and years and years was um, I ran it in a VM – and uh, and i passed through the cd drive into the actual virtual machine because little known secret about dvd fab if you try to just share the disk it actually can't it can't you know break the encryption properly and all that uh and so and what would happen was i would lose the license key <clears throat> anytime i would reload that vm and it was funny because i had this thing in my head where i would say I could go find her. I could email him and tell him, but you know what? I really like the company. And so I would just, I would just buy another one. So I probably have like over the years, probably six or seven licenses to DVD <laughs> fabs. It's such a great company. So the fact that you're calling and telling me now they're supporting Linux is just, that just, that really, they hold a special place in my heart. That said, um, lately I have been using two programs. One is a program called Brasero, B-R-A-S-E-R-O, uh, which will make an entire image, much like DVD fab does of the entire disc and one of these two I, – I'll alternate because sometimes one program will rip it and the other one can't. I have never had a movie that both of them couldn't – that one of the other couldn't rip. The second one I use is a program called uh, K3B, which is the uh, CD Burner application that's that's for the KDE folks. Um, and one of those two programs almost always can rip – not almost always. It always can rip one of the, the two disks. I will tell you, though, there are certain times – like so, for instance, Redbox will sell you – uh, the DVDs that they're no longer, uh, that they're no longer using. So you can go buy them for like two bucks or two fifty or something. And so that's, that's a place I buy a lot of my movies now. Um, but there is no real, po- the, the reason I ripped, uh, ISOs of the movies because I want all of the menus and I want all the subtitles and all the extra features. Dirty little secret about rental discs, they now make special rental discs that don't contain anything else other than the feature film. And then this irritating ad that says, you know, this is a rental disc and if you're caught in possession of it, then it's illegal, which it's not because they sell them. Um, and so for those discs, I actually i am doing what the majority of people that rip movies probably do. And that's I'm using a program called Make MKV and Make MKV will actually extract the uh, the feature film off of the it'll extract anything you want. But we extract just the feature film off of the disc and it makes an MKV full resolution doesn't lose any quality. Um, and that's a way that you can rip uh, a DVD or a Blu-ray if it's uh, off of a disc that doesn't have any of those other features.
4: Yeah, okay. That's great. Yeah, I was curious. I had, just like you, that's been kind of a sticking point for me with moving over to Linux, and when I discovered DVD, Fab had done that. I thought that was awesome, but I like I, I knew you had mentioned that in the past, so I just wanted to pick your brain on that and see if there's anything else that, uh, that's better or other options out there, so I appreciate your help.
2: Appreciate it. We thank you for the call. Yeah, DVD Fab will forever hold a special place in my heart. There's no doubt about that. And if they have a Linux version, uh, the DVD Fab folks, you can count on getting a couple bucks from me because I will be buying it. Um, so uh, here's what I'm going to do for the, re- uh, uh, again, uh, phone lines are open. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's one 450 6624 You can email the show live at asknoahshow.com. Um, what we're going to do with the rest of the program is I have two guests coming up. One is in studio. Mr. Willie sitting here patiently uh, while I, while I bang away through some of these questions on the phone. And he's got a very interesting story of, uh, of what, uh, of, of how he got started in independent media, switched his workflow over to Linux. And, um, we're going to be having him on in a little bit. And before we get to him, I want to, uh, I want to bring on another guest. Um, this is a gentleman that he is in the uh, Ask Noah Telegram group, and you can be, too, at com, And uh, his name is Eric. And Eric has basically – he has new business syndrome. He has gotten started with – uh, a new i t consulting business, and he knew that I ran an i t consulting business, and so him and I have been going back you know over the past week or so and uh you can just feel the passion just oozing out of, of the chat like you know he's up all hours of the night he's designing web pages, he's creating business cards, he is out you know uh, you know advertising his services, and he's really developing a a core model uh you know to to send to his customers and this is this is an old Zig Ziglar quote, but it's if you help enough people uh you can have anything you want in the world. If you help enough people get what they want in the world, and uh, Eric is definitely well on his way to doing that, so joining us on the program uh, via phone is Eric from Kansas. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. I don't know. Excellent. So, thank you very much for uh, t- t- taking the time to uh, let me pick your brain. So, tell me, w- what was the first thing that happened when you decided, when that moment, when that aha moment clicked, and you're like, "I'm going to go own my own business. I'm going to go do this." <laughs>
1: Um, well, actually, I, I've got that that small business syndrome uh, twice over. Um, I actually have a two or three year old uh, lighting design company. Uh, so we do uh, concert light lighting for the most part. We do some high end weddings and and so, so on and so forth. I'm I'm a huge music junkie, and uh, one of the one of the things that kind of triggered me to look into IT consulting was the fact that. Your typical eight-to-five uh, enterprise type IT job doesn't always give me the flexibility to travel or to leave work early to go and uh, and set up set up all my lights, all my cables, my console, and uh, it's uh, it, it struck me one day interviewing. I, I was looking for a new job, and um, I was interviewing with a startup, and they they were very passionate about what they were doing. It was a uh, is a farm big data company basically collecting uh, basically collecting a b- whole bunch of metrics off of combines and that kind of thing, and running it through servers to <coughs> excuse me, uh, running it through servers to kind of analyze uh, what your potential yield is and, and, and otherwise help the farmers out to, uh, better utilize their fields and their equipment and, and whatnot. And these people were really passionate about what they were building. And their and their mission, and I, I really felt for these folks because they really needed someone on the infrastructure side, and they just, you know, they didn't have enough money in their budget to pay for goods as admin. Um, so these people are developing code all day for their uh, for their device to go into the combine, but then they have to take a step away from that to go and do server patches, to go and do hardware repairs. Uh, you know, everything but what they were passionate about. Mm. And being, being the type of personality that if I don't fully believe in what I'm doing, I might as well not do it because, you know, my, my heart's not going to be in it. Mm. <laughs> and it, it kind of struck me that between my lighting design business and going out and meeting people and figuring out what they're passionate about and, and you know, there's something, anything I can do uh, to, to help you reach that. I realize that here in, in Kansas City, and, and I'm sure all over the, the country and the world, that uh, there's a whole bunch of people out there that are passionate about their project, uh, passionate about bringing something to life, <clears throat> but they're they're so tied down with infrastructure that they can't do that. Well, that's where that's where my uh, that's where my consulting business comes in. We our goal is to offload that off of people and allow them to pursue what they're really passionate about.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That, well, wow. Man, talk about, uh, you, you know what? If I ever need a day off, you can just, you can just fill, fill on in for me, Eric. Cause I mean, you got this thing covered. No, but I mean, on a serious note though, really, you have the heart of a servant. And what that is going to get you is you, you, you're quickly going to get to a point where you have developed a really firm trust with your clients. Um, and that is, and that is something that no amount of money Uh, can buy. That's that's something that, you know, serving those people over and over and over again and serving them well over and over and over again means that, you know, you become, you know, a trusted name. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people out there that they have passion, but it's a passion for what they want to do. The passion isn't for their IT infrastructure that just needs to work. And so if they have somebody like you to come alongside them, and do their website and stuff like that man they are, you know they are really set so uh, tell me the story what's the name of the company when does when do you officially open or have you already opened how, how uh, what's, what's the uh, what's the pricing how do people get a hold of you that kind of thing
1: uh yeah um, so one thing, one thing you said in your in your very gracious intro that that I should probably correct before I get in trouble. Mm. Um, my wife is actually a graphic designer, and she's been working on uh, the logos for both businesses and working. Mm. With <laughs> and back, <right? laughs> yeah, due credit um,
2: go to the wife. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and I I definitely wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at, or much less having even tried uh, either of these businesses without her love and support. Um, so I I don't know if she'll listen to this or not but you know i am I'm, I'm covered <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, so the the lighting design business is let there be light and you can find us on instagram facebook uh twitter linkedin at b light k c and uh, uh BelightKC.com. and then uh the, the more relevant topic is uh the i t guides and uh the website is theitguys.us. Uh, we're on social media at uh, itguyskc, uh, so Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, and we're, we're we're finalizing designs for our logo. Uh, we kind of trialed one, and it, it may look great on the screen, but when you put it on when you put it on a, a social media banner or something, you, you know it's. Sometimes you just look at it and go, what were we thinking? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're currently redesigning that, and so I'm working on the uh, working on the website right now. But um, that really hasn't uh, kept me from, from building this thing. In, in fact, I, I started collecting clients before we even had a, a domain. Uh, I, I batted around names for probably six months before I finally settled on one. Um, and it actually came up because uh, when I'd go to – let's see, I've got – I've got four clients to date, and uh, <laughs> whenever I go into their offices, I, I would always get referred to as the IT guy. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go to a concert venue, and I'm always the lighting guy. So it, it just—it just seemed appropriate that uh, that the business would reflect that. So we're we're technically open right now. Um, uh, pricing is kind of on a—I've got a flat hourly rate uh, mm-hmm. for right now, and I'm offering free discovery. So basically I'll come into your office spend a couple of hours talk about what your goals are uh take a look at the existing infrastructure and put together a rough plan. All that's all that's free. And then after that it's uh, just $50 an hour uh for my time and uh <clears throat>
2: Man, that's, that's very, that's very reasonable. That's very competitive. Now, I, Eric, and if you don't want to share the story on air, you, uh, you can feel free to politely bow out, but, uh, any chance you'd want to talk about, uh, the, uh, a given situation you and I were talking about where you had this guy and he just, he just felt comfortable just having you in the loop. Does that ring a bell? Okay.
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, I know, the, I know the story you're talking about. And I won't, I won't mention names because there's, there's potential uh, legal battle mm-hmm. uh, going on between this client and... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so the, the, the situation that Noah is referring to is I, I had a client referred to me uh, by an old boss of mine, actually. And he suspected that a former employee had hacked his network and was monitoring not only his mail... But all of his clients' mail and his wife's mail, and uh, so he he was trying to prove it, and um, <clears throat> and, and so uh, well, in the over the course of trying to prove it, he was looking through logs, and it, it was a it was a cpanel issue, and uh, they came to me as a as a Linux systems administrator and said, "Hey, this runs on Linux. Can can you read the log?" Mm-hmm. Like, well, I can I can give it a shot, and. I, I saw some things that didn't feel right. and But, but I mean, you're talking about a company and the balance you're talking about, his clients and the balance you're talking about, right. uh, my family and, and my own reputation and the balance. So I, I wanted to be sure. And, and I opened up a case with, uh, with C-Panel, and we went back and forth. And, you know, I got to the end of this ordeal and uh, sent Noah a telegram and said, I don't know if I feel okay about this. <laughs> I mean, I'm charging them for my time, but I didn't really do anything in the end. But I, I, I realized through through all of that that sometimes just having somebody there, mm-hmm. just being present, being a, a, a sounding board for someone to, to kind of talk through, and and uh, was was sometimes enough for for a client to feel like you did a great job.
2: Yeah, the thing is, a lot of times, what gives clients—and I've seen this time and time and time again—it's not that they necessarily needed you; it's that they needed you to let them know that they didn't need you. And you know what I mean. So, like, if something had gone south, if they ran into a question that they couldn't answer, you were right there, you know, at the bat. And and I've done kind of the similar thing at Altaspeed Technologies, you know, where I make myself personally available to any client anytime there is something urgent that comes up. We have a very talented team of technicians that. Do a very good job of taking care of people, um, but you know if something comes up, especially if it's mission critical, that's where I focus my time. And I can tell just from talking to you for five minutes, it, it, or even you know before that, you know just talking to you on Telegram that that uh, your company is booming. You've clearly found you know a need and a and 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 a, and a place to serve and a clientele that really is grateful to have you there. And I have no doubt that you're going to be knocking it out of the park. And you know one of the interesting things is you've done this. Uh, all or almost all on Linux? Isn't that right?
1: Um, that's right. I, I am a uh, recovering Mac OS user. <laughs> 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 and, uh, I, I came across uh, Jupiter Broadcasting and, and the Ask Noah show uh, a short time after that. Uh, I, I came in in the final month of, of Linux Action Show and, and started becoming part of the community and, and digesting content and uh, to fix this feeling that I was just kind of stuck in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being a Linux systems administrator for the past 10 years uh, you know really felt like there was something missing and realized it was it was a community it, open source is not just a type of code distribution it's, mm-hmm. it's a community. And so o- over the past oh nine months or so, um, I've, I've sold my, my MacBook and I've got a, a Lenovo that's running Arch and mm-hmm. uh, I've been moving some of my uh, a lot of my personal, content off of iCloud and, and off of Google and onto open source projects like NextCloud. Like uh, today, I was doing the mind-numbingly painful uh, process of moving a lot of my passwords out of LastPass and into KeyPass. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a push on both fronts. I'm trying to move my household onto, onto open source projects, but um, I, I also use that as a learning experience uh, for the business of building an entire company off of open source because that's that's where my heart lies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So and you don't feel like you just traded your your actual working machine uh, for a non-functional machine but you get the badge of of some crazy religion. It's it's not like that. It's you're you're your, no, you're getting real work done and you're just doing it in a way that nobody can pull the rug out from under you.
1: Yeah, very much so.
2: Wow, thank you so much, Eric, for letting us pick your brain. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, being a listener to the Ask Noah show. Uh, you'll come back in a couple months and let us know how it's going?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. And, and as you mentioned, I'm in Discord and, and Telegram a lot of times during the day as well.
2: Outstanding. Eric from Kansas City, theitguys.us. Do I have that right? And the IT Guys on social media?
1: I'm sorry, say again? Uh,
2: theitguys.us. That's your website, yeah?
1: And then we're IT guys, Casey, and, and I'll put. Uh, I'll, would you Would you mind throwing those in the uh, show notes there? No. Yep.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Please, uh, send them over to me. And I, you know, thank you again so much for taking the time to call in. We really appreciate it. And there you have it, folks. I mean, that's really what this, that's really what this amounts to is that we're not, uh, we're not advocating some crazy religion. We're not suggesting you work into a, you know, move into a cult or something like that or move into a commune. No, no, no. We're just saying that there is a loving and embracing community out there. And if you take advantage of it, you can lower your, you can lower your costs. You can boost your bottom line. You can make a really good business. I make a lot of money off of people by peddling open source stuff. It works. Eric is proof that it works. Other people in telegram.asnoashow.com are proof that it works. So give it a shot. Chaz is calling from New York. Hi, Chaz. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
5: Hey, Noah. How's it going today?
2: Excellent. Hey, are you going to be around uh, next week if, uh, if we do a show live from New York City?
5: Uh, I'm not from that part of New York. I'm from the part of New York that likes guns. Oh <laughs> Closer to Canada.
2: Okay, all right. Northern New York. But I tell you what, if uh, if you make it down to the uh to the uh, to the liberal pool down in New York City, I, uh dinner's on me for uh, for all the support for the Ask Noah show. Uh how can we help today though?
5: Ah uh, man, I might have to do
2: that. Seven right, PM, well, brother. I'll I let was, you know. Uh,
5: all right. Well, um I uh around Christmas time this year I was trying to convert my mom to the cult of Linux. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, not a cult. Um uh and uh, <laughs> what I did was I put an SSE into her MacBook, and I she, her constant complaint about her MacBook has always been, I don't like Mac OS, although she's one of those people who's not really that tech-savvy, so she doesn't really know how to articulate that it's not Mac OS she likes. So I said, Mom, let me put the software on that I think, you know, will be more helpful to you. And uh, right or wrong, I put her on Manjaro, because I figured XFCE would be the closest thing that she would feel familiar with. And having the opportunity to watch her uh, work on it, it seems like she's getting frustrated by the newer features that get built in to um, uh, you know, a newer OS and uh, you know, ones that you wouldn't expect to be there like t- touchpad gestures and it seems like what she just wants is the OS to work and uh, get out of her way and allow her to do work. So I guess not so much a legit question as Can you maybe do a future show where you give your best uh, suggestions for how to get non-tech-savvy people working well with Linux? And with one final caveat, I think she's familiar enough with the OS that switching a distro or switching uh, desktop environments would kind of be counterproductive at this point. Am I making
4: sense?
2: Yeah, very much so. Um, so yeah, we could totally do a show on that. Um, you know, lately these days, uh, I've been moving more and more towards Ubuntu Mate, which, you know, which again would involve uh, switching the desktop. But the, the reason I put people on Ubuntu Mate, Chaz, is because, um, the, they have the, the panel layout, which means that I can literally go from a Windows-like layout to a Mac OS-like layout, back to a traditional Linux GNOME 2 style layout, back to a Unity layout without ever having to, it's never actually a new desktop, and I never actually reinstalled the OS. And so that, that's really a great place for those of you that are at the starting stage. To start, and I will uh, we'll go back, and yeah, we'll definitely plan a show on that. And, and uh, I don't know, if – are you? Uh, let's see. Can we bring Chaz back? There he is. Yeah, let's bring Chaz back up. Are you? Uh, are you? Are you following us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show, or are you in the Telegram group uh, Telegram com? One of those places.
4: I've got
5: both up and running. And um, uh, in in my defense, Matei was a very strong contender when I wanted to do this to her. But it was a, I did this project around the same time that you uploaded a video. Um, about how you were fed up with Ubuntu and you wanted to switch everybody, and <laughs> you didn 't want an o s so you had to install every two years, which was my thought as well. The goal of this was to be less tech support than I already was.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy how that works. Well I'm glad you're in both those places. I will uh just keep an eye out and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it at the end of the show here, but uh I want to make sure that uh that we get you the information for where we're gonna be in New York if if that ends up happening, and I, I don't have that in front of me right now. Uh so yeah, anyway, that would be great. Um I wanna give uh Will uh a, a chance to chime in here. He's been sitting so patiently. So Will is a founder of Sam Baker News. Sambager News uh is it uh dot org. Yep. Cool. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you and I both went
3: through the 97 flood together. Tell me about that. Well, I was three years old, so I can't say I remember a whole lot about it, but it wasn't a lot of fun. I'll tell you. Yeah. So I hear uh, in 1997, there was a big flood in the Red River Valley went haywire. And at the time, it was actually the largest evacuation of U.S. citizens since the Civil War. And so it was a big deal. Um nobody died. Uh but you know, it was funny. Growing up I kept hearing these stories about sandbaggers. And we've talked a lot about this, you know, the idea of a sandbagger, somebody who just shows up when they're needed. And with the help of everybody else, they're able to do what they need to do. You know, they save the town, they put sandbags around people's homes and save save people's lives in some cases. So uh when you came as a guest speaker to one of my classes at the University of North Dakota and you told me about Linux and you told me about this uh, community that exists to help each other and to empower themselves, empower everyone. Uh, the whole sandbagging thing just kind of... It just clicked with the, what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah, it took form. And so you came over to my house and you switched us all over to Linux and it made so much sense. And I felt like we were sandbagging the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's kind of a
2: funny story. Like we were sitting there after class and he's, he's talking to me. He says, you know, I'm kind of interested in this. And, you know, when could you, uh, would you, you know, would you be willing to help? Yeah, of course. I'm always willing to help somebody switch to Linux. And he goes, when? What are you doing right now? <laughs> and so we walked back to his house and we installed Linux on like five different machines. But you, you have taken that to an entirely different level. Uh, Will, you have gotten to the point now where you, um, you've you collected hours and hours and hours of uh, video footage. in uh, were you, uh, where, where was the last place you were at? I just got back from Iceland. Yeah, collecting so taking photos and taking video and uh, and and then we we recently we just we put together a um a free NAS box. Uh, so your file server. We put together a file server and uh, you loaded that thing up with how
3: much space 12 terabytes of storage and when i tell my dad about that he says what the heck is a terabyte and yeah exactly <laughs> i say like, i don't know but stick around noah's telling me there's things called petabytes and yeah, that's you don't right. even know.
2: <laughs> yeah that's right yeah so you've taken and uh and and you went in uh, and uh we we, we put a, a small gigabit switch and uh and you've been dumping footage and, and as you're finding out when you start pulling uh you know a lot of footage especially you know where you're working 4k off the drone um you know that sucker it fills up fast um and so and so will got a first-hand treat you know he kind of took it at a leap, leap of faith you know we started talking about this and I said you know he goes what kind of external hard drive would you buy so well I wouldn't I would buy this uh, I would buy this uh, you know these Western digital Reds I put them into the box let's let's build a, a file server and you just kind of took me at my word you didn't really question it you're like yeah, yeah sure but then just about a week ago or two weeks ago it's like oh I'm out of space and we need to go from six terabytes to 12 we put the next drive in. We click a couple buttons. I'm like, there you go, Will. Now you got 12 terabytes. <laughs> cool.
3: Yeah. It was really cool. So I've been traveling yeah. around a lot, and I finally just got back a couple weeks ago. And I've, I've, I had not left my house all day today. I was in the basement working, just like living in this file server because I'm having so much fun moving all the footage around. And that gigabit switch mm-hmm. did the trick. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun moving things around, realizing – what i'm able to do with all this footage now finally so tell me a little bit about your workflow so we got the we got a canon uh, 70d yeah um i was just kind of explaining this to my mother today she was asking like well, no, what do you mean when you edit a video what does what does that mean exactly do you mm-hmm. throw a fade in and some music or something i was like well um i'm still learning a lot about this but what i like doing is dump all that footage now it's in my file server mm-hmm. and import that into Lightworks, Mm -hmm. and I kind of chunk through all the footage at first and make one big long timeline of all the usable stuff and then make another clean timeline where I start putting the story together and I kind of focus on the audio first and get people's voices usually telling the story and then drop b-roll on top of there and uh, you know you can spend days and days in your basement if the Sun doesn't shine you don't open your curtains absolutely Uh, (laughs) it can be kind of a soulless activity for anyone who's edited a lot of video but um, knowing that I'm using all these cool uh, peer-based programs and this community has always got my back makes it a lot easier. And, you know, at first I was freaked out when you were telling me that using Linux was like driving stick on your car, yeah. which <laughs> That's is actually example. not something I know how to do. So I was yeah. like, ah, oh, geez, dude, what if I run into problems, you know? And uh, I'm talking to your listeners now. If, if you all haven't figured this out, Noah is one of the most generous people that on the planet and i'm so proud to be a g funker with him from good old grand forks and um you know he's always there to help me answer questions but um just the other day actually i was really proud of myself because when i came back from six months of traveling i had forgotten my password <laughs> my, yeah my, my to your Ubuntu exp- box yeah yep. so i was like oh no i'm gonna have to bother noah and tell him i you know lock myself out like this is embarrassing but i fixed it i <laughs> i mean you look it up it's not too hard but I felt good being able to fix that problem on my own. So when I finally did message you, hey, I'm back, let's hang out, I was proud to say, that a I locked myself out, but b I got myself back in.
2: Exactly, dropped to that run run level one. But <laughs> and you know the thing is, is you have then come along and I've asked you questions and you were helping me just the other day with you know some video editing uh, issues, color correction stuff like that. Like so, it, it gets to a point where uh, again we see this community thing coming around. And you know, I, I, there's it was a joke I was telling on on, on the air earlier. Is there's a group of people that make fun of us Linux people, and they're like, oh, you guys are some sort of cult or religion. That's the only reason you do it is out of loyalty to the religion. It's like no. I do it because I helped you get started with something and then it came full circle. And now I was in a time crunch and I really needed to get this particular video project out. And now Will's helping me get that done. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's an ebb and flow process It's a give and take. And uh, and it's been really fun. And, uh, you know, we at the Ask Noah show are, are, you know, real happy that you're here in studio. But also we just kind of want to follow uh, your series of success, as it were. So thank you very much for uh, for coming in the studio and, and telling us a story. People want to find out more. Where can they go?
3: Uh, sandbaggernews.org. Um, you know, I haven't added, uh, updated the website in a while because I've been traveling now, but this whole week I've been home. I know I've got a lot of work to do, and I'm able to do that work now. And it's all thanks to the empowerment you've, you've given me and that we've given ourselves here. So. Yeah, absolutely. You guys on Twitter? Uh, not yet. You know, we have a Twitter, but these are the things I'm excited to get started now finally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And crunch out some of these projects, and I know you'll be around to, to help me out, and let's we'll see where this community takes us. Very much so. Let's take a couple more calls, huh?
2: Eugene from Russia, your question for Will and me.
6: Ah uh, Yes, Oh, Noah, thank you for taking my call and for doing actually this great show, really for inspiring people, I would say. Uh, you have folks listening to you uh, in Russia, too. Well, thank you, sir. We are honored. How can we help you? Well, I have a question about network privacy. And the question is, does using HTTPS connection leave full URL addresses visited by you open to, say, ISP or system administrator? And what about information, say, credit card info or something like this, sent via pages encrypted only partly? As I understand, there are some pages, only some elements of which are encrypted. This is the first part of the question. And the second part uh, concerning email, maybe I can ask later a bit.
2: Yeah, sure. Do you want to ask the second part now or you want the first part of your answer? Answer the first part, then you can come back. Um, yeah, so basic, so ba- yeah, so basically what it, what it is is if you have a, a, any portion of the page that has a field that you'll be entering information, and that field is not set up to transmit that information through HTTPS, your browser should flag that page and give you a warning and say, not all of the information on this page is secure and it will not be transmitted in a secure fashion. Um and that's your that's your uh, that's your clue to uh, to get out of dodge. Um I got to tell you though there are some valid reasons for having unsecured uh information on page. So for example, we are switching, we are in the process of testing a new credit card processor. And uh the the credit card processor that we are going to, we have not paid for a certificate for our main page because there is no real customer data flowing through there now anyone that has a contract with us knows that because they you can't actually make a payment it won't actually transmit uh the payment information through but we get people all the time that go there and they look at it and they go oh, you have an unencrypted thing how, how can an IT company not know that and i i i've gotten to the point where i get pretty salty about it and i, I say well if you're a customer you'd know but you're not a customer so i don't have to explain it to you because <laughs> i'm because i'm because i'm a crotchety old guy but but uh but yeah the um y- you you want to keep an eye on on if those pages are encrypted and just look for that green padlock in, in Firefox or Chrome. What was the second part of your question?
6: Yeah. Um, the second part is about um, Wi-Fi network and well in the institution of mine where I work we have a Wi-Fi network authorization realized via CA certificate whatever mm-hmm. it means similar mm-hmm. for all the users and some private key file which is unique for all the users password protected and so on And the question is, does such a system leave any room for private networking at all? Or everything I read based online
2: is open for network
6: admins of the institution?
2: No, uh, no, it's not. So that key is a... that is a separate key infrastructure from your web traffic. That key infrastructure is specific to authenticating into the network. Um, the, 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 the encryption key infrastructure for actually transmitting information from your computer out to another server, that is an entirely separate infrastructure as well. In fact, um, the uh, the key-based – the certificate-based – Wi-Fi-based authentication is actually used um, by DEF CON. And uh, it enhances security. It does not weaken it.
6: Traffic uh, still is left unknown for administrators.
2: Right. Well, ask- uh, well, okay. Hold on. Not unknown. If if I'm the if I'm the so okay. A couple of things. Uh, first of all, even with nothing else in place other than the fact that I have access to the router, if I have access to the logs, unless you're using a VPN, I will be able to see which sites you are querying. So I know that you went to, you know, whatever, gmail.com or amazon.com. I can't, however, tell what you purchased, you know, or what information was transmitted to amazon.com because mm-hmm. there is a tunnel. However, there is one exception to that. <clears throat> in If I have administrative access of the network. I can do something called port mirroring. And so I can basically log into the switch and tell it to duplicate all of the traffic on this particular port over to a, a secondary port where I plug in a computer with Wireshark. Uh and in that scenario, I would be able to take I would be able to capture all of the traffic that is coming in and out.
6: Mhm. Mm-hmm. And uh, by saying that URL addresses are open, do you mean the full URL addresses like google.com slash and some query or just google.com and that's it?
2: Depends on what you type in. If you go to google.com and you're navigating, I'd have to look at a router log to be sure. But my my gut tells me if you go to google.com and then click on something, uh, that will not trigger a different router log but when you type in an address it's going to especially in in all of our networks where the the router is set up to function as the primary dns server to begin with that way we can add we can uh we can block certain websites stuff like that in those cases i'm going to see everything you type into a web browser and press enter on
6: uh-huh so the full address mm-hmm. okay i see
2: does that answer your question thank you Cool, yeah. Thanks for the call from Russia. We really appreciate it. Uh, Anthony is calling from North Carolina. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
0: Hello, Noah. Anthony here. I'm a IT for a nonprofit, and we have a couple of Linux, um, actually Mint Linux, um, computer rooms. Now, we ran a script that I found on the internet a long time ago that kind of acted like Deep Freeze. Mm -hmm. But is lacking. (laughs) So some changes are leaking through and, um, you know, kids are changing icons, backgrounds, um, putting jars of Minecraft on the computer. So, um, we're looking for something that can lock down the computers as hard as Deep Freeze does in
2: Windows. Well, I'll tell you what I do uh, to solve this exact problem. You let me know if this would work for you. What we do is we – the first thing we do is we create a guest user that has no password and automatically set them login to login automatically on the machine. Um, the second thing we do is we remove pseudo privileges from that user. So that user only has um, standard permissions. They don't have uh, elevated permissions. Third thing we do – that already? Yep. The next thing we do is we go through and we create a script that upon boot up, it destroys everything in the home directory – which is really the only thing that they should be able to touch. The only thing they should have permission to touch. And then we take uh, – before, actually, back up. Before we destroy the home directory, we set everything up the way we want it. And then we take a copy of the home directory, tarball that up, and we put it inside of the root drive. You don't allow permission for anyone other than root to touch that particular uh, tar, tarball. Upon boot up, there's a script and it destroys the home directory, untars the tarball of the what we call sterile home directory, and then puts that back into the home directory. So if somebody, you know, uh, made a change to a browser or, you know, in the case of Minecraft, downloaded a a Minecraft thing and and untarred it into the downloads directory and it was running from there, all of that is going to get wiped out upon restart.
0: Okay, so my next question with that um, is how... um How would you deploy this? You know, so someone's not walking around (laughs) pasting a script to one computer from one computer to the next, moving on and moving on. Because like we, I'm talking like 60 computers at this point.
2: Oh sure. Um, Well, so the way we do it is we actually I have an SD card with this particular deployment on it, and uh, what I do is I I literally DD the image onto. Uh, the drives that we call them our kiosks uh, and if a kiosk is ever damaged or they buy a new one or something like that we literally take that little sd card plug it in we dd the image onto the hard drive and then pl- put the hard drive back in the computer and send it off you could if you wanted to deploy this in mass especially if they're all in one place you could use something like Clonezilla, zilla and uh, you could set you could pixie boot all of the machines to Clonezilla and have them read from a, a, a you know a, a a configured image
0: yeah uh, that's something that we're working on our current network um, couldn't move big files across it. It's still like 100 megabits. Maybe mm. you're actually, getting an actual, an actual 40-ish
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, on a good day when the sun and the moon are in line in the right place. Yeah,
2: right, right. Yeah. I remember those days. So, yeah, the the only other thing you could do, and this isn't much better than having somebody walk around with a script. Uh, is you could load that uh, Clonezilla image onto you know a couple of flash drives, and you could have people plug in in flash drives and boot the machine up. And you know the nice thing is, uh, it may take you know twenty to thirty minutes to actually image the computer, but it only takes about fifteen seconds of actual time to plug the flash drive in, click on the buttons, and uh, and then you walk away, go get coffee, while five of them image, and then you unplug those five, plug in the next five, and you'd whip through it pretty fast, even if it's sixty machines. I've done, I've done, I've done, the biggest deployment I've done is three hundred, and we did all those by hand, so it's it's possible.
0: It just seems like it would be a great thing to do with some teenagers. Like I said, as a nonprofit, we could put them to work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that, that's a great idea. Get the high school kids involved or something, huh?
0: Yes. It's like, in that, Basically, I think I can see everything that you're, um, everything with um, what you're saying, just throw in a little simple cron job, delete, root, untar, and paste, done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I will, uh, what we'll do is we'll put a link in the show notes to that particular script that we have. And uh, if you want to use it, you can. Scott is calling. Hey, Scott, I got about a minute. Go. Scott with UUID issues. Hello. All right, Scott, I'm going to put you back on hold, and uh, I don't know if we'll have time to get your issue sorted out Sorted out uh, this time, but uh, perhaps you can call in next week. Hey, guys, next week we're going to be live from New York City. That's right, New York City and New York. The Ask Noah show is going there to bring you live coverage of the Ubuntu rally. We're going to be meeting up with friends of the show like Martin Wimpers and Alan Pope, and uh, we'd love it if you could join us now. We haven't exactly secured our plans yet, but i we have something in the works because i I, I visit New York pretty regularly, so I know a couple of people there and uh, and I told them I said, you know this is the first uh, Asnoa show's first trip to New York, and uh, we want to make it uh, easy, we want to make it accessible, and we want to have uh, a big party because we know that there's going to be a lot of people in the New York area, Chaz, for example, from New York that has called in a couple of different times. we want to have the opportunity to meet up with them, we want to have the opportunity to Grab dinner with you guys, have some drinks, and we want you to be able to listen to the show live. So I have something. It's like 98% finalized. I am just waiting for one other person to sign off on this uh, before I can officially go on the air and say it is happening. So hopefully I will have that. I I pushed really hard, you guys, to have that information for you tonight because I know that there's some of you that don't follow us on social media. And this is the only real uh, information that you have. But the show will be live from New York City, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Next week, that's Monday the twenty-fifth, and uh, and so if 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 you don't usually check us out on social media, head over to facebookcom Show. Check us out on Twitter at Show, or uh, keep an eye on the Ask Noah subreddit. We'll have information in all those places as well as the Telegram group, telegram.asknoahshow. Dot com. That's all for this week. We'll see you back next week. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on loveless Radio, KEQQ, 88.3 LPFM, Grand Forks.